0: Welcome again to False Neutral. The podcast from the Hooniverse Podcast Network. I'm Pete. Your other hosts are with me as always. Eric and Garrett. Say hello, guys.
1: Hey, hey. Good
0: afternoon. <laughs> wow. That was really, really sad.
1: Yeah. We rehearsed that. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: Um, before, before we start, just kind of a random old man rant from me. Uh, I was, I was watching earlier today. Revzilla's YouTube channel is actually fairly interesting, and they have a gentleman named Lemmy who does their reviews, and he was reviewing the XSR900, and he referred to it as a UJM. And that is one of my pet peeves, how that, you know, some people get really, really mad when uh you say you're going to take a consensus instead of census, and that really bothers them, or people don't like it when you say literally and you're talking figuratively. UJM is one of those terms that drives me crazy because people use it to refer to a standard naked bike. And that is not at all what the term means. It doesn't refer to universal do-everything application or uh, the ability to do lots of different things It is all about the architecture of the bike, and it comes from a November 1976 issue of Cycle Magazine. They were testing the new Kawasaki KZ654, and in there they commented on how similar all of the four-cylinder Japanese bikes had become. And that more and more Japanese manufacturers were building bikes that were nearly identical. And the quote is, there is developing, after all, a kind of universal Japanese motorcycle conceived in sameness, executed with precision, and produced by the thousands. What they were saying is if you looked at a KZ900 and a KZ650 and a CB500 and a CB400F and a GS750 and a GS550, all of these bikes were nearly identical in that they were air-cooled transverse 4s, overhead cam, chain drive, tube frame, single-disc front end. They were identical architecture. And so to refer to anything else as a UJM, you are missing the point of what that term originally meant. Now, granted, (laughs) it may have a different meaning today. Okay, I'm an old man. I don't have to agree with that. Get off my lawn! Exactly. (laughs) Similarly, people want to call everything from a bobber to just something I ripped parts off of a cafe racer. If you want to, great. Use those terms however you want. All I want to do is make you aware of the fact that you may not come off sounding as knowledgeable as you think you are when you use those terms if you don't use them
1: correctly. So two things, maybe three. Pete, I want to know how much time you spend on the internet seeking out people that have used those terms incorrectly on forums and aggressively typing. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no. (laughs) I I imagine you on your porch with a stick shaking it at kids that ride by. No,
0: I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm very sincerely, hey, I don't care. Somebody that is purporting to be an expert on a youtube video as a member of the industry it makes me cringe because i'm like oh do you realize how wrong what you said just sounds
1: so yeah well in the case of the cafe racers when people use that term at least they're using it in the spirit of what it was intended originally so you know when you're stripping a motorcycle down and and kind of making it a pseudo-race version of it. At least you're still in the spirit of it. But when you use uh, UJM to describe uh, any motorcycle that's just a naked upright riding position, then you're grossly misusing the term. I mean, it it, it was pretty specific what it was intended for, Um, but I would say uh, probably much more misused nowadays. I would say that
0: the Cafe Racer is being used exactly opposite of the original spirit of the term because it was making a motorcycle functionally more like a race bike. And now it it is in many cases, uh, doing things like lowering the fork tubes in the triple trees and robbing yourself of clearance for looks. And it's all about style. It's all about looks. It's all about, you know, having a rolling piece of artwork that may or may not function as well as a stock motorcycle, in many cases, much worse than a stock motorcycle because you want a look. Cafe Racer was originally all about function.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Some very, very sad news we need to talk about this wor- this week it was the death on, uh, Saturday, May 7th of, uh, Michael Sizzix, who, uh, was not, only... it, is almost a Greek tragedy in how poetically tragic his life was. He was a brilliant, uh, architect, uh, was not an engineer, but managed to completely build and construct a phenomenal square four, uh, twin crank Grand Prix motor due to changes, very ill-timed changes in, uh, the Grand Prix capacity, uh, Allowances. That motor became obsolete just as he finished it, and no matter how much he tried to lobby to get it uh, allowed in Grand Prix competition, it was not. So he turned his attention to electric bikes, and became the first uh, winner of the Isle of Man electric race. And or was he first? Yeah. Uh, no.
2: But he did. W- he won it
0: three times. They were the
2: first. He was the first one to do. I think. If if memory serves, it was the first bike to do the lap at a 100-mile-an-hour average.
0: Right, and he that was on his third attempt. His hero was John Britton, who we've talked about previously, who was, again, uh, one of these guys who just goes off and does wizardy magic in his shed with uh, very little industry support and uh, n- without all the letters behind his name that you normally have when you're an engineer, and uh, both of them tragically died of cancer very young. Michael was uh, one of these people that managed to uh, fight cancer and still live his life. He was still road racing while he was uh, in between chemotherapy sessions. When he was well enough, he was out on the track. Just truly somebody who was inspirational. And from all accounts, one of the most personable guys you could ever meet. And our industry is a lot worse off because of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. He, if you're not directly involved in the industry, you might not even know who he is. But he's probably one of the most underrated contributors to motorcycling. Um, and in the Isle of Man, he's pretty well known. And and I think he probably would have been much more well known had he not gotten completely screwed on his engine design. And not just the engine design, but the whole project of the C1 motorcycle that he was building kind of fell apart because of that change in engine. I think that at the time when that was produced, they were running 1,000cc motors, and then they reduced the displacement requirements down to 800. And he had so much time and and investment into that engine, it just wasn't practical to re-engineer it to meet the requirements of the racing. But it's not just the engine that he designed. I mean, he designed an entire motorcycle additionally with amazing um, suspension work and, and the engine and the design and everything. And you can see a lot of the Britain in the design of this motorcycle. And while you can't really call him an engineer, by definition, he really is because he does, a. I mean, professionally as an architect, but an incredible... Um, designer and engineer. And to be able to um, make an engine like this, it's really tragic that he wasn't able to use it because I think that he at least could have made some waves in the MotoGP industry, especially when you look at what he did in the uh, electric motorcycle industry. I mean, he what he has done in, in the Isle of Man and the speeds that he accomplished with some of his motorcycles, just truly phenomenal.
0: I need to correct myself. I, I referred to it as a, the C1 as a square four. It was not. It was an inline four, mm-hmm. but Transfers. it was actually, I believe it was longitudinal. Was oh, a, yeah, you it, right. it was a twin crank. If you go out on the Internet and you look at the cam positionings and the intake uh, arrangement of this, it was truly unlike anything else that uh, anybody has ever put into production. It's, it's just vivid evidence of how truly creative he was, not for the sake of creativity, but because he really could think outside the box and solve problems. He yeah. was just underfunded. Well,
2: so he, he was, he was I a will, very, very I will, I will I have a very different take on the man. I'm not going to crap on him because he just died. However, there are a few things I know that I can't really go into because they were said in confidence, but he blew... Multiple opportunities to actually do something more with his bikes than he did uh, he was brilliant at raising money when so when you say underfunded no he had m- lots of very wealthy people giving him large chunks of change and not delivering because he was concerned with i, don't, I hate to use the word marketing and appearance but appearance of appearance and presentation of a lot of stuff more so than piling that money into actual Um, R&D. That's probably much as I can say without... I will will trust you you know what you're talking about. He was a brilliant man, very smart. In in many ways, he was sort of like an Elon Musk, for better or worse, of the motorcycle industry in that he's brilliant. Uh, No one's going to question his smarts, his talent, and his marketing. But when it comes time to actually deliver the goods... Especially on something more than a onesie, twosie kind of basis, there's a whole different story. And I can't, like, like I said, I can't go into it because there's some, some stories and information I have that were said in confidence from people I know. So, who actually worked for the man, not second or third hand. This is people who actually worked for him uh, for a time. So,
0: when I said underfunded, he couldn't build an 800cc version of it to compete. When he right. got to the point where they changed the capacity to re-engineer his motorcycle to meet the new requirements, he did not have the funds to do yeah. that. That's that's yeah. what I meant by underfunded. Okay. He was right. a a ridiculously rich individual to start with. He made a whole lot of money with his an architectural architect. firm. Yeah.
2: yeah, There was a uh, Discovery Channel special on him back in 07, I think. I can't recall the name of it, but I do remember seeing it. And it's actually it'll actually give you a pretty good take on who he was as a person and and the bike and stuff like that um if you, if you can find it it's a it's a pretty good show it's about an hour long
0: i think your comparison to elon musk is a really really good one cuz there's a whole lot of people who have a whole lot of beefs against elon musk for some of his boasts his personal egotistic excesses well but, but those, kind, gonna, those are the kind of the people who, who are... They changed the world. No, exactly. no those, those are the people who just, changed the world. I
1: was just going to say, people like this, I mean, this is his baby. He put so much time and effort into this. And, you know, there's this thing called the Nirvana fallacy where it's a logical fallacy where you always feel like something is not good enough. And because you put so much time and effort into it, you want it to be perfect. And it and an almost to you never is. And so it prevents you from ever getting it to where you wanted it to be. And I think that that possibly could have been an issue for him. But um, what's the same
0: perfection is the enemy of excellence. Yeah,
1: Yeah. he was from Portland, Oregon. That's where I'm at. And his motorcycle shop is actually pretty close to where I live. And I never got to meet him. But I know that he he attended some of the Moto One motorcycle shows here in Portland, Oregon, kind of a big motorcycle show they do every year. But it is a huge loss, and it's a loss to motorcycling. And you know, my condolences to his family and everybody else that was uh, around in his life.
0: Eric, the the people that you met him, did they? I, I don't know how to ask this. In uh... they had
2: no personal beef with him, right?
0: No. Yeah, from what I've heard, is to they, be they, around they, the guy, they... he he was not an arrogant Steve Jobs kind of taskmaster who who berated Task- the people.
2: Not a taskmaster. Yes. Um, no one had anything bad to say about him personally. They were just how things were done within the actual business that and these were people who knew because they'd been in the industry for a while. So yeah, that's pretty much what I can say. <laughs> no they no one no one had an axe to grind against him. In in the same way with Eric Buell. You find out, okay, yeah, he's he's he knows what he's doing when it comes to engineering and these certain things, but when it comes to actually the business side of it, it just didn't work out. And again knowing people in the industry who've worked for them. It-
0: and, and there are people who are smart enough not to realize that they don't know everything. People who are convinced that the way they see it is the way it has to be. Uh You can see that in a whole lot of industries. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Steve Jobs is one of them, that he never listened to anybody. If he hadn't thought up the idea or he hadn't uh, championed it, uh it was wrong. And... He was fortunate in that a lot of times he was right, <laughs> but that makes it really hard to work with those people.
2: Yes, uh, I am putting a link. This is just on the Discovery Channel page. Uh, it was just the original announcement. So yes, this was in late two thousand seven that the documentary on him uh, aired. So I'm sure if you search on YouTube, you can you can find that someone's. I'm sure it's put it up there.
1: So what do you guys think that this is going to do to electric motorcycle racing at the TT? You know, there are other manufacturers and there's other designers and other engineers. He wasn't the only one. But in the last five or so years, his company and his electric motorcycles were the most competitive and fastest electric motorcycles at the TT. Um, Is this going to hurt the progression for a few years, or do you think that there will still be people that are going to produce and engineer and ride electric motorcycles and keep progressing that technology?
2: I, th- I think more than ever, it's it's the, the it's just going to continue to go on and progress because as more and more laws, especially in the EU, get passed about what can and cannot come into city centers. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, electric scooters, electric motorcycles, electric cars. That R and D has to come from somewhere, as we all know. Racing, uh, you can you can develop something in a lab, but you throw it in a race uh, race environment, whatever form, uh, and that's going to advance you anywhere from two to five times faster because you're going to put stresses on it that you know you can in a lab or could never in a, imagine a lab. So people like Polaris who bought out um, Bramo. Brammo, thank you. There's some Chinese Zero, Zero uh, taco, yeah, there, the new
0: electric bull taco. There's a couple
2: Chinese companies that are getting heavily involved in that because, especially in China, with their air pollution issues, that's becoming more and more an issue. And they're really, really beginning to subsidize their electric uh, The purchase. Yeah. Uh,
0: to, to say that his death would affect the electric TT racing, I think you're giving him more credit personally. I think he did a lot to kickstart it, but
1: yeah, there. He he wasn't the driving force of electric no. motorcycle right. racing. Right, I mean,
0: there's a whole sanctioning body out there. They're not all going to fold up their tents and go, "Oh well, Michael died, so you know, let's right. not let's not compete anymore." Yeah, or let's coast for a while.
1: Yeah, certainly, I don't think that it's going to tremendously reduce the contributions to the community. But his company was pretty dominant in TT, and I wonder if if there will be. Any less competitiveness over the next couple of years. I mean, certainly it, everything will move on. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll change. It'll be different.
2: Um, yeah. And it all depends on what he decided uh, is going to happen with his intellectual property after his death. If he puts it into the public for you know, in a public thing, well, then, you know, then it'll advance. And if he keeps it within his family and his family can license it out, then, you know, that has different implications
1: as well. I was watching a video about um, him. And one of his electric motorcycles at the TT and and the writer was describing it in just a surreal way where on a piston driven motorcycle, you have so much of the vibration from the engine. And when you're riding it, there are things that you don't get to feel. But on the electric motorcycle you feel more of what the tires are doing and how the road feels because you don't have all of that vibration from the engine and the way that they're describing it just seems so interesting from a racing perspective and, and kind of the forces on the motorcycle that you would feel that you don't otherwise get to from a piston driven bike. And so I thought that was pretty interesting
0: next month. The TT is going to be upon us 28th of May through the 5th of June. And, uh, if there's anywhere that, that, ability to feel what the tires and the suspension is doing and feel the road service, it would be on the mountain course. Just as a little bit of background, the, for those of you who don't know, the Manx TT is held in the Isle of Man, which is in between England and Ireland. It is a, I don't know what you call it. It's one of the little semi, islands, it, semi,
2: semi-sovereign nation,
0: right? Yeah. It, it, it's part of the United Kingdom, but they have home rule, which means they're, they're subjects of the queen and, And all of the laws that are passed in Parliament automatically apply to this unless they, in their Parliament, which is called Tinwald, if they decide, no, we don't want that one to apply to us, they have the ability to go, no, we're going to set our own laws and set your British laws aside. So unless they actively change it, they're kind of semi-in-sync with British law. And they are part of the United Kingdom, just like the Channel Islands are. But they have some independence. I first found out about the TT, which has been around since 1907. 1907. And the mountain course, the 37.4 or 37.5 mile course that they're on now. 37.75. Okay, there you go. There were some course changes along the way, but basically the same one since 1920.
1: Well, in 1920, uh, I don't even think much of it was paved. I think it was really just kind of wagon wheeled paths. And they've paved a lot of it, but it's kind of neat because you can look at pictures of some of the historic races in some of the well-known corners, and it looks strikingly similar to what they're racing now. The same walls are there. The same hillsides are there. It just is paved. It's smooth now instead of a little dirt path.
0: And and it's kind of a... Uh, an anachronism. There are very, very few courses that are still raced on public roads. There's some F1 courses in Monaco and stuff like that. But this was taken off of the FIM, which is a worldwide racing sanctioning body, was taken out of the uh, championship. And a lot of that had to do with uh, Giacomo Agostini. Was basically refused to race there. He said it was too dangerous, and he was one of many, many racers who were complaining about it, because there is no runoff area. It's such a long course that it's impossible to... Well, I shouldn't say impossible. There are people who have done it. Uh, It is extremely difficult to memorize every entrance and exit of every turn, and even if you get it right, and you know exactly what your entrance and exit speed can be in every uh circumstance, every weather condition, uh you can still have a mechanical problem, have a tire blowout, have a chain or a transmission, you know, clutch blow up on you, and yeah. you go right into a brick wall that is literally inches from the track in some cases. Uh I first found out my first exposure to it was an article in the December nineteen eighty one issue. I went back and looked it up. Uh, Cycle Magazine did an article called Mad Keen on Speed uh, mm-hmm. by Alan Girdler, who is one of my all-time favorite writers. I had no idea that the Isle of Man even was a place. And I read this article, and it was like, oh, my goodness. There's an a magical island that devotes its whole being to racing motorcycles. This was like telling me about the Emerald City. I I was so enthralled by this and I immediately went back and looked through all of the history of it going all the way back and I was so fascinated that every name that I had ever heard of uh Mike Halward, Giacomo Agostini and all of these people I just fell in love with it in enough so that I started listening to Manx Radio on the internet when it became available and listening to the races live on the radio, and then went on to listen to Manx Radio year-round for several years regularly, and I just fell in love with that. I've never been there. I don't know anyone from there. Unfortunately, we were advised at work we were no longer allowed to listen to streaming radio, Mm -hmm. so I I don't listen nearly as much as I used to, but I can tell you most of the places where traffic jams happen on the island from listening to traffic reports during drive time. Uh, <laughs> I know an awful lot about historical buildings there because up until recently they had a show on the radio called Kelly's Eye where they would go around and they would talk about architecture on the island. And I fell in love with the fact that Tynwald, their Parliament is the oldest continual uh, democratic ruling body in the world. They still have horse-drawn Victorian trams, the streetcars that are on tracks but horse-drawn in Douglas, which are the only ones like it in the world that are still there. They've got steam trains that, if you're you're a you're a rail fan, you know you go there to experience some of the longest continually operated steam train lines. The whole island is just a magical place, and the fact that they're Shut down the entire island and let these guys race motorcycles on the streets and have done that for a hundred years is just so incredibly awesome,
1: right? And the island really is like the pinnacle of a road race course where, like you said, there's effectively no safety barriers along the whole course. 37 miles, and it is really just it is. You go as fast as a motorcycle can allow you to go, and I think I probably figured out about the Isle of Man time trial in the '90s when it came up on TV or something about it. But uh, just seeing the motorcycles and and it just the sheer speed that they achieve—it is impossible to watch a clip of the Isle of Man time trial and not just start to feel your blood pumping. It is probably one of the most adrenaline inducing races I think that I could ever imagine. Um, the motorcycles going 200 plus miles an hour, average speeds of 130 miles an hour. And this is on a road where the speed limit Probably the average speed limit might be 30 miles an hour or 40 miles an hour. and, and these Actually, people, a actually, lot
2: of there's, – there's not well, really no a speed, speed limit. limit.
1: Right, no, 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 but no, these yeah, are I mean, roads where you would think no, that it should
2: even, be 30 even or 40. Even on like normal public road like yeah. day when everyone's driving, there's there's suggested speed limits, but there are no real speed right. speed limits. Now, out, there, on, are, yeah.
0: there are in the – metropolitan in the cities, in the cities they right. have speed limits but out on the city, more city cities
1: big relative term yeah because there is it's i mean it's villages, like villages is about is more out yeah. the the most city <laughs> thing about it is probably a, a community where there's some homes and like a gas station but
0: <laughs> actually some of the cities are are fairly good sized cities you know douglas and peel they're you know uh if you were standing in them looking around, you would not think I'm in a rural area. You'd think I'm in a city. So, you know, Yeah,
1: but I think the, the average car driver or motorcycle driver would probably feel comfortable, um, through many of these areas driving, you know, 30, 40, maybe 50 miles an hour. And in some of these sections, these motorcyclists are going over a hundred. And in some of the, the long stretches, I mean, it's literally just as fast as a motorcycle can go, 200 plus miles an hour. And, they stage the race where the bikes—they don't all leave at the same time. Um, there's a little bit of a delay between them, but the most competitive racers, oftentimes, you'll see them running right next to each other, right behind each other, and it is just absolutely intense. There are sections of these roads where they will literally catch air. There's um, images of many feet of air beneath some of these motorcycles. I go sleep. <sighs> Yeah, and just, I mean, I get such an adrenaline rush just watching it. I can't even imagine what it would be like to race it.
0: Uh, If you go to YouTube and search for uh, the greatest show on Earth, Isle of Man Mm -hmm. TT, there is a fantastic seven-and-a-half-minute long kind of a music video that shows some of the most dramatic aerial shots and close-up shots of these guys, and it's spectacular.
1: Yeah, it really is the greatest show on earth. I mean, it is just absolutely unbelievable.
0: On on the other hand, it's not uncommon for two to three people to die every year there. Uh, I think on
1: average, I think on average, um, two people, uh, like just over two people per year, die.
0: Now they do have they have the TT, which stands for. uh, A lot of people think it means time trial. Tourist trophy. It stands for tourist trophy because when this started, it was actually an endurance contest to see whose motorcycle could last (laughs) around that loop of, you know, as you said, a lot of them were, uh, cart paths, but it is, uh, one of the most unusual, uh, forms of competition in that even the, uh, like in Northern Ireland, there's a lot of street racing that still goes on, but it's a mass start here. They have two riders,
2: one well, one writer at a time, every ten seconds. Right,
0: uh, every ten seconds. Okay. Every ten. I think at one point, I guess that is, I guess that is correct. I'm I'm going to let you correct me there, uh, but it it makes it very hard to watch because you can't see people go by and know who's in front of or behind someone else. So you have to constantly listen to the radio and you know get timing updates because somebody else may be twenty seconds ahead of somebody else. But by lap time, yeah. be beating them. So it, it's, it's fantastically difficult to follow because you can only see one little snippet of a, of almost 40 miles of racing. You may not be able to see because of bad conditions, depending on where you are when they go up, up in the, the hills. Visibility can be very bad. The best film of this is in the Peter Starr movie. Take it to the limit. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It shows up on YouTube every once in a while, and it constantly gets pulled down because it's a copyright violation. But uh, Peter Starr, before digital video, put a camera, a, a film camera, on the tank of Mike Halewood's motorcycle. And he did a lap narrating his lap. It is astounding He is in the middle of a fog bank. You can barely see the road, and he's getting up fifth gear, hitting red line in the fog, going, now there's a left turn up here. you got to be ready for it. And you can't even see the turn yet, and he's already turning into it. The man memorized that track so well that he could do that. But it's jaw-dropping to watch. And if I can make a plug for Take It to the Limit, specifically because (laughs) of that scene, but also some of the other. It was not available online or digitally for years because of a licensing blow-up that kept it off the racks. It is now available on uh, DVD.
2: There's a there's a couple other ones like that, and the one that got me really interested in the Isle of Man, and this was in the late 80s, I guess it was, um, kind of when I was getting into bikes. Um, maybe it was the early 90s I finally saw it. I'd heard about it in the 80s and saw it in the 90s. That's what it was, uh, and that's V4 Victory and that's uh chronicles joey dunlop um and and some of his racing now now the problem with that is is it doesn't come with subtitles and while joey <laughs> dunlop was irish i mean if you think i mean if you know, if you think guy martin is hard to understand then you really will have issues with joey dunlop now once you hear it a while and you kind of get his rhythm and cadence and you figure it out and then it's no big deal but the first time you hear this you 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 really do need subtitles so there's there's another one too called um the road racers and i think both of them are on amazon I, i'd have to go look i think duke video owns the owns both of those so you can always look at duke video and um, and for for those but uh yeah it just gives you an idea and it's kind of the same thing joey's not narrating on the bike he's in a in a television studio talking it through uh but it's it's still it's some the 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 images are just absolutely yeah. amazing and he's so nonchalant about it that's and that's just what was so cool about Joey he was just you know just a regular dude in his yeah, a, with a the,
1: the motorcycle there's <laughs> a documentary uh, that was made in 2011 that follows well follows a couple of racers but mainly guy martin and i he does a lot of talking in it and i i've watched it several times i cannot figure out one in 10 words that guy martin is <laughs> i mean I, I'm not unconvinced. It's not just gibberish. Like he, he might not even, <laughs> I, I just can't even figure it out. But, um, and so what's even more surprising about that is, um, guy Martin. Um, I think he even still is a mechanic. Uh, but yes, yes. he does He's a
2: he, diesel truck mechanic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But he does do some, uh, TV, uh, hosting kind of stuff. And I don't know how you could have that guy host anything that isn't specifically just for, Some of the other areas that can understand him, because I don't know if anybody really can understand Guy Martin at all.
2: Well, for 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 the English, it's understanding guy who's from somewhere in Yorkshire, I believe. is probably like an American listening to someone from Louisiana or Texas or something. You know,
1: it's it's really difficult to understand, but he's such an upbeat personality. It's hard. Even though I don't know what he's saying, he sounds super excited. And so (laughs) you just you can't help but smile
0: some areas north of england actually have much thicker accents than isle of man itself mm-hmm. mark cavendish the cyclist mm-hmm. uh he's from the isle of man and uh he's he's fairly easy to understand i i think it's more the the irish that <laughs> and the the northern england that are are tougher to yeah. understand
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. speaking right. of guy martin he's not racing this year which It's kind of a big thing, because he was just signed to a a new team, I think, last year. Eric, is that right? Signed to...
2: A couple um, years
1: ago, the Taiko
2: Suzuki team. He's been writing for it for a couple years, yes.
1: Well, I thought he switched to uh, BMW.
2: Uh, I'm sorry, yes. Uh, Taiko switched from Suzuki to BMW, so, sorry,
1: that's my fault. And and so, um, he had a pretty good crash last year, Mm -hmm. and decided that he was going to do a, a cycling race instead this year which this might that might be the end of guy martin racing the isle of man Would i don't know do you he, think he, he's hasn't he's ruled, he hasn't
2: ruled it out no and he's going to still do some road some road races but this was one of those deals where it was it's this kind of run across the rockies from south to north i think yes. is what it is right. um and he 's at an age where he can still be competitive because he 's hyper competitive cyclist, and it 's something that if he he felt if he didn't do now like yeah. now in the next couple of years that he would never be able to compete at the highest level and yeah. so that 's why he's doing it and his team boss philip neal's pretty cool dude anyways and and a riot on t v he said, "Yeah, that that's fine because the the marketing money and and, and the and the PR that that Guy Martin is worth even if he only races for you three or four times a year, and even okay. if it's not at the biggest event, it's still it's still worthwhile." So,
0: not everybody is real enamored with the Isle of Man TT. There's a lot of people who think it's outdated, that it should go away, that it's costing people who could have very successful racing careers in safer environments their life. And it's no longer relevant that it's just an excuse for people to go see wet T-shirts contests and get drunk. I've heard some people who are uh, very avid uh, race fans who have nothing but derision for the fact that the TT and the Manx Grand Prix that they hold in uh, August, which is not quite at the same level, it's more of a pro-am kind of thing, and the, the vintage racing, they need to go away. I don't want to make this something that just sounds like a love fest because there's a lot of people that don't feel that way about it.
1: There's no doubt that the Isle of Man race is extremely dangerous. In fact, I think that most people would argue that it is the most dangerous racing event in the world. And it claims the lives of people that, you know, are dying too young. But with that being said, I don't think that we should change the Isle of Man. I think that it is one of the great tests of mental strength, writing ability. Um, and and there's nothing really that can replace it. I think that you could probably make the same argument for why do we have the Dakar rally? I mean, it's, it's a test of writing ability, a test of mental strength. No, it doesn't kill the same amount of people, but the Isle of Man is is something special and, and I think that we should probably appreciate and recognize that and, and understand that it does come with dangers.
2: There's there's people who Yeah, there's people who say, well it's taking people away from racing in closed circuits or short circuits as the English like to call it. Um, but the thing is a lot of the people riding at the Isle of Man can't ride or can't find a ride In 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 a you know air quote traditional racing series, whether it's you know even at a national level, and this is what they do. And 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 there's a lot of other people who simply love the challenge of riding as what they call the you know the road, the real roads, right? Racing on the roads. Um, And there's yes, there's an attraction, and the attraction of it is it is it is you know a higher level of danger. But at what point, you know, yes, you got to you know you say well, you got to protect people from themselves. Okay, maybe, but you know, at what point do you just like eliminate every, you know, all all sense of risk? You yeah. can't. So, and I if think- people are willing to do it, people are willing to pay to do it, um, you know, of their own free will. You know, I don't, I don't really see the problem. I think, I think many there-
1: of the. Go ahead, Pete. I-,
0: I think there is such a thing as, um, you know. Uh, tempting men off to battle with the promises of the glory of war. You know, if you don't organize it and you don't set it up as a as a test of your manhood and don't glorify it with all of the, you know, uh, stirring videos of past champions and stuff, if you said, okay, we're not going to do this anymore, uh, you wouldn't have people going, yeah, I want to try that. So I think there is an argument that, by organizing it year after year, you are you are encouraging a mindset that says this is something worth dying for. And I'm not in a position, you know, I I don't even commute to work because I think there's too much risk involved, you know, and I go on the back roads 12 miles to work and I and I won't bicycle and I won't ride my motorcycle to work every day on a regular basis because I don't want to take that risk. So is it worth dying for that's It's an individual I, choice, I think. I, I, don't, I don't have a uh, background where my parents said, yeah, go do that. So it's very difficult for me to understand the mindset of somebody who says, yeah, this is... I, I know... Uh, oh, I can't think of his name. There was a, a young rider who was uh, just recently killed in practice this spring at the Isle of Man, and his... Uh, girlfriend posted something that was basically the, uh, typical, you know, I take comfort in the fact he died doing what he loved. And it, I'm, it would be very difficult for me to be that person in that situation and say, yeah, it's but- really worth dying for.
1: I don't think you're going to come across a single one of these riders that doesn't fully comprehend and appreciate the dangers of this course and what it means to race it. And I think that the racers that do race it are a different type of racer. For one, I don't think that they are concerned about the glory of winning the Isle of Man. I mean, if you look at somebody like Guy Martin, he is a very simple... um, person. And I think that he races it for the love of racing. And I think the th- same thing could be said for many of the greats. Um, and so I, you know, it's not like there's Valentino, like a big, big, big worldwide name like Valentino Rossi out there. I mean, these people really are simple. They go there in a normal kind of Freightliner van, just like you would see at an amateur motocross race. And so I think that yeah. they're racing it for the passion.
2: I uh, I know someone who's raced the Isle of Man. Um, I Can't call quite call him a friend, but someone I'm friendly with up in Canada, and another Canadian guy that I know who's racing this year. Uh, and and in talking with Pat, who raced back in '06 or '07, I think he did. Um, yeah, he did it once because it was sort of a for him it was a bucket list thing. He didn't do it. He did it because of because of the history, because of the challenge. He wanted to see what it actually took, and and, yeah. and he. And he even says, "Like I did it. If I could do it again, I would." But he's gotten older now and yeah. little, little rounder around the waist. And he's like, "It was, it was, it was for the sort of the love, of the sport, and the personal challenge of just seeing what it was." And he said, "It was, it was really, really eye-opening." And I think when I talk to Darren later this year, when I see him up up at uh, one of the Canadian races, uh, I'm sure he'll say the same thing because Darren's retired twice and he every time he's like okay yeah i'm not retired i got i need something new i need a new challenge and the olive man's been on his bucket list for a long time and and i know that he's doing it simply because it's it's because of the challenge yeah for any not for any personal glory or anything like that because but because of the challenge well
0: nowadays you you don't you don't get that kind of glory that you used to when you know 40 years ago right right. yeah Yeah. Winning the Isle of Man used to be the greatest championship in the world, and now it's something that m- most mainstream riders don't even attend.
1: Yeah, because it's not like it's televised like it is the what? Moto GP or it. Um, it is you, on. It is on TV and you can
2: stream it. Yeah, I mean if right, you But, uh, BBC, but It's was it BBC Northern Ireland I think uh, does that
1: right. Yeah, it's just not like a whole. Well, I mean, it's just, it's one event for the whole year versus um, MotoGP where you have, you know, a bunch of different races and they're widely televised and there's tons of sponsors and everybody sees it. And so it's just, they don't make a big a deal out of it as they do some of the bigger racing events like, you know, the series events like GP and whatnot. So... Mm.
0: Well, is that it? <laughs> we've never all stopped talking at the same time like that before. I guess we've addressed the subject.
1: I think that that was my fault for uh, tailing off that conversation like I did. But yeah, the, uh, the
2: one the one thing I would say that they're looking at, if anything, if uh, of evolving it is, and. What's become more popular again are the smaller smaller bike classes because there are okay. some people who are like, you know, as super bikes are doing. Yeah. I think average lap of over 137 last year. I'd have well, to go John, back yeah. and look.
1: John McGinnis last year set the um, the absolute speed record at 132.7. Oh, 132. Okay. Couldn't remember miles an hour. Yeah, wow. which is pretty phenomenal. He's a 44 year old. I mean, one of the all time grades. He has yes. um, many, many podiums there. But at 44 years old or 43 when he did it, um, that is an achievement to race yep. at that level. But that reminds me what I was going to say earlier, but I forgot. Uh, a couple of things that I think would really help the sport is focusing, how oh, about three things? Focusing more on the electric bikes. Um, they're not achieving the same speeds as. Um, the big bikes are. They're a little bit slower. So, I mean, uh, progressing that, um, some smaller displacement classes, like you said, Eric, um, to get people into racing it where they're not achieving such uh, significant speeds.
0: The, the problem I think, with that is that where the people are dying is not the places where right. they are at the highest speeds. There so, are some 40 and 50 mile an hour corners that yes. Is where these guys are hitting, you know, garden walls and stuff like that.
1: And that's one of the great challenges is because, well, there's 200 plus corners on this course, and it is extremely difficult to memorize the course, if not impossible. Um, And it takes an incredible amount of writing ability to write it. And so, one mistake, just one small mistake, and that can cost you your life. So, when you have people that are pretty good racers and they think that the Isle of Man is what they want to do, they go and race it. One small mistake, and that costs you your life or your racing career or or an injury. Um, And so it's really difficult to say, you know, everybody can come and race it. But, you know, how do you how do you adequately prepare for that kind of race and make sure that you can do it or that you're able to do it? And, And so that's the the thing that's probably most difficult with some of the classes, especially in some of the really fast classes, I know that the, the crashes aren't happening where they're going two hundred miles an hour, but even still, you get these people on motorcycles that maybe it's their first Isle of Man, and there's a huge amount of danger in that. So I was
2: just I was looking up this the the schedule for the race this year, and the one thing about the electric bikes is they still are only set up to do one lap. Yeah. So it's it's literally that one lap sprint race. So for uh they, the, the challenge was always to the first to do a lap at over a hundred. And I think now they really need to start looking at um doing multiple laps with unlike Formula E, uh you know, the Formula One style electric racing and Formula E switching cars or switching bikes. I mean, yeah, I'm sure
1: that might be something to, to look into, but Switching power um, packs or something might, I don't know if they've looked into doing that, but that might there, be a there's, good way. There, there are the some safety is,
2: issues in dealing with highly yeah. charged electric stuff like that. Um, For sure. But
0: I think that it would, uh, multiple laps would take it back to the original Spirit, which was an endurance race. You know, yeah. maybe you have to not go as fast. You know, there's, uh, uh, I forget who it was, somebody once described... The uh, Indy 500 is the world's fastest uh, fuel economy run because mm-hmm. of the, few, you know, the relationship between speed and fuel usage. This would be the same thing of suddenly the objective is not to get fastest, but be the one who can get around two laps and yeah. then worry about your speed, which would kind of takes it back to where the internal combustion engine was a 100 years ago.
2: Yeah, and that really I would think. be pressing the r&d of uh, of of the electric bikes which is really what needs to needs to happen at this point in time
1: In their current form it just seems like it would be so boring to watch those bikes do two laps because They're, currently they can do one lap really fast but in the same amount of power they'd have to reduce speeds in order to do two full laps and it would really just look like would, a bicycle race
2: They would have to change the bikes around as far as power packs and and engine management, that's for sure. Slow down, yes they would, not as much as you probably think. Um, Six years ago, I'm trying to remember now when it was, um, up up in Canada for the Canadian National Superbike Series, they also hosted around for the what was I don't I don't know where it sits at this point in time, but the electric motorcycle champ racing championship, and there were like four or five rounds. There were a couple in Europe, there was one at Laguna Seca for is for part of MotoGP back then, and then they raced up in Canada, and there were only like seven or eight bikes racing. But and yeah, some of them were certainly far more sophisticated than others. Some were kind of home built deals, but it actually ended up being kind of interesting watching them. And they actually aren't completely silent either. They make a decent amount of noise. So. Yeah, they do. It was, it was a fun race to announce. It was an interesting race to announce, and I wish that series would have taken off a little better. Um, so that's why I say I think you can do multiple laps because there was actually a lot of interest from that crowd, and that's a pretty fickle crowd up there.
1: Yeah, I would rather see them um, ha- achieve the ability to swap power packs, and I know mm-hmm. that there are dangers of that, just like that there are refueling um, cars and races, but... Um, I would like to see them um, progress the speed and the distance, and I think right now probably the best way to do that is to be able to swap power packs, um, just like a pit stop. So, uh, have you guys seen Sutter, um, the company? Uh, they are doing a two-stroke bike that is going to be racing in the Isle of Man this year. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that one? Yes, pretty I interesting. It's a yes, beautiful I have. bike. Well, I mean, the styling is, I don't know, it looks a little outdated, but the engineering and everything looks like it's pretty impressive. Um, and I believe that they are uh, doing a limited run of, I don't know if they're going to be street legal motorcycles. No, but technically they are not going to be street legal, but yeah. yes. Not technically, but who wouldn't want to take one of those for a spin around the block? Uh, yeah. But for the for the uh, listeners that haven't seen this, um, Sutter is a company out of Switzerland, and they're doing a um, 580cc two stroke uh, GP style bike that they're going to be racing, unveiling, and racing at the uh, 2016 Isle of Man this year. And the bike, the stats on the bike are just absolutely incredible. Uh, they say that it's going to weigh something like. 300 pounds right in that neighborhood and have a pretty similar horsepower, not not 300, um, but it's up in the 200 somewhere. Um, the power to weight ratio is going to be pretty phenomenal. Uh, and it's been quite a bit of time since we've seen a really competitive two-stroke bike run, at, at least in the bigger classes at this course. Um, so I'll be interested to see how this works out. Um, I would love to hear it, but unfortunately, I'll just have to settle for probably YouTube clips. I said there's, there's plenty of YouTube clips of it testing around. Um, I would love so to hear it in person at 170 yes. miles an hour go by.
0: You know, that I, that's the thing that has always been cool about the isle of man it was the one place where the the local government and the residents and everything weren't complaining about the noise level and weren't complaining about the emissions weren't complaining about shutting down the streets it's the one place where there's municipal support national support for this race for so long it's a part of the culture it it's the antithesis yes. of what we were talking about a week or two ago about all the motocross tracks that have closed because neighbors complain about the noise. You know, this is the one place you don't have to worry about, "Oh no, you can't run a two-stroke here" or yeah. you you can't run open pipes right. here.
1: And and part of that is the the length and the history of the the race that they've had there. I mean, when they started in 1907, there probably weren't a lot of people living on the island. Uh, there were probably a fair amount, but um well it, it has just it's always been there and so the people for at least a, a full generation or two generations where that has been the thing. Every year this race has been run and they've been really right in the middle of it. And it,
2: and it's a huge huge part of their economy too. Right. It's, and I was going to say totally that's the whole
0: are. reason that the Isle of Man racing for cars and bikes started was that there were very, very strict speed controls and an outlaw on street competition in the United Kingdom. This was the one place that you could go and do it. And in Victorian times, they were kind of the uh, they were not high end. What do you want to say? They were they were the vacation spot for people who couldn't go to continental Europe. A lot of Irish, a lot of Scottish, a lot of uh, lower class English. That's where they could go for a holiday on their vacation, go to the beach and, and, you know, that's why they had movie theaters and they had, uh, a lot of tourist, uh, attractions, uh, the gate so theater was, and stuff. They it, were, it already, was the
2: UK. It was, it was the UK's version of the redneck Riviera.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I was thinking more like Atlantic City, the boardwalk okay. yeah. in Atlantic City. Yeah. And so they, uh, They already had a tourist-minded economy, and you know this worked because they were the one community that could thumb their nose at Parliament's speed laws. Yeah, Yeah. you could. You know, it was kind of like uh, anything you want to do, it's legal in Nevada. So (laughs) 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 yeah, yeah. If you can't go somewhere else, go to Nevada, and they'll they'll make it legal for you if you've got enough money.
1: Didn't you find a while back? I don't remember if it was uh, for sale or if it was for rent, kind of like a hotel thing. But Pete, you uh, sent us the text message of
0: Kate's Cottage, which is yeah. very, very famous. It will be on a map of the mountain course, and it was for sale. And I was like,
1: "Oh wow, <laughs> yeah.
0: good good thing I don't have Elon." How Musk's much were they? It Do wasn't, you remember? It wasn't.
1: It was like four hundred. Was that? Am I anywhere right? I don't remember. Given what housing goes for there, um, um, yeah, even like apartments in
0: Peel, I've got some of the real estate magazines over there, and oh my goodness, uh, real estate is. I guess maybe if I lived in LA, it wouldn't be as surprising to me. Uh,
1: Two
2: hundred seventy-five thousand okay. pounds.
1: So what? What maybe. is that exchange now? Are you still about about like three hundred? Yeah, three
0: fifty, and it's for a. a An old cottage, you know, (laughs) but it's a really cool old cottage with a
2: six feet off of the course. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Three hundred ninety seven thousand two hundred and sixteen dollars. Yeah. I mean, Uh, this is uh, here's the uh, sold subject to contract. Uh, Two bedroom detached Kate's Cottage at Kempler Gate, Uh, an iconic detached Manx Cottage situated on the TT course with stunning views over the countryside and Douglas Bay. It's at the 34th mile of the TT course. Two bedrooms, two reception rooms, one bathroom, one garage, front and side gardens, oil-fired, oil-fired central heating. Uh, oh, it does have double glazing on the windows now. Uh, two parking areas for up to eight cars. A rare opportunity to purchase an iconic piece of Manx history is situated in the Isle of TT course, ideal uh, for keen motorcyclists and offering amazing rural views over the surrounding countryside in Douglas Bay. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. I, I so, will tell gonna... you,
0: I, I decided years ago, if I ever go to the Isle of Man, I am not going to go while races are going on. I'm not yeah. going to go through any of their, their many annual touristy weeks. I'm going to find, I, and I kind of narrowed it down to the first week of August. Yeah, it's warm. It's still the tourist season, but there's nothing big going on. So I could go out and enjoy the island and go see uh, the Laxi Wheel and go see, you know, the the pier and go experience the island without a crush of a million other people. Uh,
1: Yeah, I would love to watch the Isle of Man, but it's it's kind of like a Formula One race where it 's not like you 're really going to see the cars you, I mean on a road course like Monaco, or if you go like in that chicane turn, but effectively, it would be worthless to go there to see the Isle of Man. You can see it in so much better detail on t v uh, but it would be neat from, to be there from an environment perspective and the feeling of the the atmosphere and everything. it would be neat to be there, but for watching the race. Uh, it's,
2: it's more, it's, uh, from people I know who've been there, it is, it's, it's as much about the event and everything yeah. surrounding the event and as I, the it's, uh, event, it, as, as the event itself. So yeah. it, Pete, in that, uh, it, are you guys in that, in that link I sent you for the, uh, for the ad for that cottage, um, there is a picture in there from what looks to be 1920, if, if not earlier, uh, and uh, of the house. And there's literally like, a fence, a dirt road, and oh, yeah. the race going on right, right there. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a great
1: picture. Yeah, isn't that amazing? So I take it it hasn't sold yet. It's still on the market. No, it's guys it's uh, it's under contract. Oh yeah, right. I didn't
0: think that yeah. would last long. That uh,
1: so. Yep. Well, it looks like our chances are gone, at least for another hundred years. You know, that's I, the thing is that
2: for people who go there kind of every year, make a tradition of it. You once you find a place that you stay because it's typically you stay in someone's home that rents out yeah. a room. Yeah. You literally, when everything's over, you do it for the next year. Right then, because they fill up so quickly, and yeah. you end up building. According to people I know, like lifelong friendships with people who are just either staying at the same place you are or the next place over, and. Yeah, it's, it's it's a pretty – that's why I say it's as much about everything that goes on around it, it as, it, as it, anything it else. It
0: reminds me a lot of – I don't know if you guys are cycling fans, but uh, in the Tour de France, there's a uh, – they go up to Alpe d'Huez regularly. Not every year, but it's one of the regular places. And there is a turn for years. That is where every – all the Dutch people get a place on that turn. Yeah. And then you just see the people go by one time you know you can spend a week (laughs) camped out on this turn i saw an interview with one of the one of the people that was there and they said oh it's a week-long party as you said there are people that you know you see every year in in the same place and watch and know the people around them and uh, it's it's a whole event kind of like the isle of man is for some people more about drinking than it is about watching the race but that's probably defines every nascar race too you know
1: well i was gonna say any party in or around the uk is probably a party where there's drinking involved any kind of motor event but if you traveled to the isle of man and say you went in august would you is there any value in renting a motorcycle to ride the road or is it just i think so i
0: i would have to not at race speeds, but I would have to say oh, that yeah. I had I had so, navigated the course.
2: Yeah, one of the one of the traditions uh, at the Isle of Man is uh, Mad yeah. Sunday, <clears throat> and that's where pretty much they open the roads, and you can and there's no speed limit, and you can take whatever vehicle you want and uh, and ride the actual course. And a friend yeah. of mine did it on a scooter when he was there wrenching for uh, my friend who or the guy that I know who raced. And um, he said, yeah, it's like even on a scooter at scooter speed, some of that stuff is just like, Whoo! you know, yeah. like your eye, your eyes become the size of saucer cups. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he said, it, you know, it's like I've ridden the Isle of Man course. Yes, I was yes. on Mad Sunday. And yes, there's some people doing some really crazy and stupid stuff thinking that, you know, thinking no they should here. be racing. But it was it was a, he said it was just a cool
1: experience. I wonder how many people have died on on that Mad day. Sunday. Oh,
0: more than more than a couple, probably. Oh, yeah. A lot of the deaths have occurred to people who weren't racing on that day. Yeah. One thing I should point out is that they also do uh, last week of August, the uh, as part of the Manx Grand Prix, not the TT but the the grand prix week they do a vintage race called the classic tt that is open to vintage motorcycles that if you really wanted to go over there and you really wanted to experience the history of it uh go see the the vintage bikes go yeah. see the bikes that made this course famous and you're going to s- I'm a gearhead uh, you know I I appreciate performance but I am as fascinated with the bikes and how they're built and there's such a variety of vintage machines that you're going to see that if you're a gearhead your brain's going to explode
1: yeah i think that i'm more interested in reading about some of the newer technologies i'm more interested in reading about but it's the classic stuff that i'm more interested in watching uh and visualizing and so i think that for me, I would get a lot uh, more pleasure from seeing the classic bikes than I would from the new stuff.
0: In the early 90s, uh, I made it a habit to go out to what used to be Motorcycle Speed Week in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Mm-hmm. They had a week in September every year when it wasn't the summer season and it wasn't ski season. It was kind of a dead time. They had modern road racing racing in the streets at the bottom of the ski hill they had vintage racing they had vintage trials they had vintage motocross kind of scrambles uh mm-hmm. they had vintage bike shows they had vintage stuff they had modern stuff it was racing in the streets and it was just absolutely as close i think as you could get to uh, you know daytona sturgis they're all about the parties this was about the bikes. And it was awesome. And what happened, all the people with their really expensive condos really didn't like it and kind of forced it to shut down. And they basically pulled the plug and said, nope, we're not going to do this anymore. And I was there. Last time I was there in 92, I had a non-refundable hotel reservation and I was ready to leave when we had a major blow up at work and I my boss pulled my permission to go on vacation and i ended up working that week and i've never forgiven that employer for that because i think 94 was the last year they had it and then it was gone forever that is the difference between there and anywhere in the states that you could do this liability insurance neighbors that don't like it uh, economic uh, development councils that don't like it uh, local politicians don't want to take the heat or authorizing it. There's just so many either timid people or people who don't see the value who want to make money doing something else that you could never do what they're doing there anywhere in the United States or Canada. Yeah. And I don't think you can do I, it anywhere in the world now, probably. Very few places. You probably, so probably somewhere
1: in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. In Dubai. Or, or, yeah, you
0: could do it in Dubai. Yeah.
1: yeah. What uh, isn't happening in Dubai? Good
0: point. (laughs) The race-side photography is not going to be nearly as attractive as the Isle of Man.
1: Yeah, well, they could invent some uh, fake aesthetics (laughs) to go around the track.
0: And, uh... Yes, special edition of the movie Take It to the Limit that has the Mike Halewood lap footage in the fog from 1980... It is available, which I would highly recommend. Well, let's wrap this up. Thank Universe for hosting us and uh, give a plug to the Hooniverse podcast with Jeff Glucker and whoever he decides he wants to have on there and uh, Camden Tubbed. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, which is Garrett, what is our Facebook page?
1: It is
0: uh, The False Neutral. The False Neutral. So, Facebook.com slash The False Neutral. Now that's, right. that's yes. one thing is we need to figure out. Last week it was false neutrals in our introdu- introduction. Then it's the false neutral. Sometimes it's false ne- We don't even know what our name it's, is. We 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 got to know.
1: It is exactly what it says on the Hooniverse, which is the false neutral. Well, it's actually, uh, it actually says er- the
0: false neutral podcast.
1: Right. Yes. Um. I think on Facebook and maybe uh, Twitter also you're kind of limited in the length. It might just be Twitter that you're limited in the length of uh, the thing, but but it's going to be as far as I'm concerned, it's always going to be going to be referred to as the false neutral, and inherently it is a podcast, so it is the false neutral podcast shortened to the false neutral. but if you go onto Facebook and you search for the false neutral, I don't think you'll have any issues finding it. Comes right <laughs> up. Yep, yeah. <laughs> and then same with uh, same with Twitter. Um, type in the false neutral, um, and then yeah, you'll find it. It's got our false neutral podcast logo.
0: Like every other podcast, always says please rate and review us on uh, iTunes. We do have very nice reviews. We've gotten six reviews: a so four star and five <laughs> five star reviews. So uh, that's very encouraging, and uh, some very nice reviews. That people comments have made. So you can go to Hooniverse and com- comment. You can go to Facebook and comment. You can go to Twitter and uh, send us a tweet, or tweet, refer to you us, got or it a right. tweet, or however yeah. you
1: say that. Retweet us on your Twitter. Do whatever you want. <laughs> well, we would have actually put
0: some content out there, which we haven't quite gotten around to. Yeah.
2: So on Twitter, we're actually just at false neutral.
0: Okay. I
2: believe. All right. Let me double check, but but (laughs) that's what I Sorry. I was just looking at that. And, uh, and, uh, sorry, we are at the, sorry, no, I I am incorrect. We're false, listed as false neutral, but it's at the false neutral. So, yes, yes, at the false neutral. So,
1: and if you guys have any suggestions, uh, things you want to hear about, motorcycles you love, and want us to talk about, let us know. Uh, leave us a comment and we will, uh, certainly consider it. All right. Okay. Thanks, guys. And we'll talk to you all next week.